She had to be physically fit. She would ride her bike, ride my bike, ride my brother's bike, you know, do cartwheels. My mother was serious about, you know, when she would wrestle, was serious because she wouldn't want to be hurt by doing something wrong. So when people ask, is it real? Yeah, you can really be hurt. You really can. So everything has to be in order. Welcome to another edition of Lady Wrestler, the story behind the story. This podcast gives you an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at the documentary Lady Wrestler, the amazing untold story of African-American women in the ring. I'm Chris Bournet, and I directed the documentary, which chronicles the accomplishments of Black women who broke racial and gender boundaries in the male-dominated wrestling business in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. That voice you heard at the beginning was a clip from the Lady Wrestler documentary in which Kim Goodwin Martin, daughter of the late wrestling legend Marva Scott, describes her mother's grueling workout regimen. Marva, along with her sisters Babs Wingo and Ethel Johnson, were among the first African-American women to integrate pro wrestling in the 1950s. In this episode, we're going to take a look at how wrestlers of the past trained like gladiators without the benefit of the advanced equipment and supplements that are available to athletes today. That's coming up on Lady Wrestler, the story behind the story. In a 2016 article titled Old School Muscle Men of the Mat, Mark Palmer, senior writer for intermatwrestle.com, says the following. Nowadays, wrestlers benefit from weight work using sophisticated workout equipment and routines, smarter nutrition, scientifically developed nutritional supplements, and other advances to enhance wrestler strength, speed, endurance, and recovery. All these advances weren't available to wrestlers of the past. Yet, how is it possible that a number of the mat athletes of the 1960s and earlier could possess incredible strength and impressive physiques that, if they were wrestling today, would still generate positive buzz at a tournament and on social media? The Intermat article cites the example of Sherwin Thorson, who wrestled in the 1930s and was the only University of Iowa athlete to earn All-American honors in both wrestling and football. Known by the nickname Thumper, Thorson was also one of the first athletes to be open about training with weights. And according to Thorson, the reason he started weight training was to work out frustration resulting from a class he took in college. I went at the weights hard my junior year, when a professor failed me in a course that I know I did well in, Thorson told the Iowa Wrestling Hall of Fame upon his induction. He told me he considered me a paid professional athlete and just wasn't going to give me a passing grade. 
The Intermat article goes on to state that during Thorson's time, and long before that, most wrestling coaches forbid their athletes from pumping iron. It'll make you muscle-bound, was the conventional wisdom of the time. However, the 1960s was a time of revolution and innovation, not only in society, but in wrestling as well. With the wider use of form core mats, digital scoreboards, protective headgear, and specialized shoes designed specifically for wrestling, rather than simply wearing sneakers. Some wrestling coaches started to see how athletes in other sports, such as swimming and track and field, were gaining benefits of weight work, becoming faster and more agile, and developing greater endurance. So how did wrestlers who competed more than 50 years ago gain strength and muscle mass that still looks impressive to many of today's wrestlers and fans? In some cases, it's a matter of great genes, the Intermat article states. However, there are some common environmental issues that help make some wrestlers known for their power and or their powerful physiques. The Intermat article cites several examples. Quote, some of these guys may have been blessed by choosing their parents carefully, so to speak. Others may have earned their muscles from hard work on the farm, in the oil fields, or other demanding physical labor. Take, for example, Doug Bluebaugh, a member of the 1960 United States Olympic wrestling team that competed in Rome, Italy. In Rome, Blueball made headlines by pinning defending world champion Imam Ali Habibi of Iran, the Intermat article states. In addition, Blueball was named Outstanding Wrestler of the Year for his Olympic achievements. Blueball described his match with Habibi the 1956 Olympic gold medalist known as the Tiger of Mazandaran, this way. At the start of my match with Habibi, he comes right after me and knocks me on my butt. I get out of it, get up, and boom, he does it again. Once more, I get out of it, but I'm now behind by five points. I tell myself, he can't do that to me a third time. So when he comes after me again, I flip him onto his back and pin him. So, how did Blue Ball develop such world-class strength? Not through a tailor-made training regimen, not by taking supplements or human growth hormone, or by eating a special diet, which are just a few of the tactics that some athletes today rely on. Instead, Blue Ball developed his physique through plain old manual labor growing up as a farm boy. In a 2010 interview with Intermat about the 1960 Olympics, Blue Ball said, Thank God I grew up on a wheat farm in Oklahoma that didn't have electricity or running water till during World War II. Doing farm chores built a work ethic. It was hard work. I never lifted weights, couldn't afford them, but hefted bales of hay. Strength from working on a farm is different. You get endurance strength from farm work. Now, I know you may be thinking, but what about the women? How did women wrestlers train back in the day before all the advanced equipment and exercise physiology that athletes have at their disposal today? Here's a clip from the Lady Wrestler documentary in which 2021 WWE Hall of Fame inductee Ethel Johnson describes her grueling workout regimen. It was all manual, you know? If you had a 
rolling machine you was rolling them, you didn't have something to roll it for you. If you was doing the uh, knee bends and things, you were doing it manual. You was doing everything for yourself. You know, you wasn't having no uh, machines mm -hmm. to go and do your work for you. And so your body, because I know my body was like a rock when I was in the business. Mm -hmm. It felt so hard <laughs> to it's nobody special. could believe it, you know, because you're, you use muscles that you have never used before. And when you really exercise the way you need to. I don't know now, you know, it looked like a lots of chemical stuff now. You know, to me, it, it just don't look the same. I used to do three hours a day in, a, in the gym. You know, I didn't uh, go up there and spend, you know, one hour and leave. I'd do three hours a day with them bopping and knocking, you know, and then learn to build up your strength in your chest because you're taking a lots of chest blows, you know, and taking those across your, in your stomach. You know, you wanted to use the medicine balls. They used that medicine ball, dropped them things in your stomach. <laughs> Felt like he was going through the floor, you know. Many of the lady wrestlers of Ethel's generation trained in the sex, muscles, and diamonds formula developed by their promoter, the notorious Billy Wolf, and his wife, Mildred Burke. Burke reigned as the first women's world wrestling champion from the 1930s through the 1950s. In his biography of Mildred Burke, Washington Post reporter Jeff Lean describes Billy and Mildred's trademark sex, muscles, and diamonds formula that Billy subjected all of his wrestlers to. Here's a clip of Jeff Lean from the Lady Wrestler documentary. The women had to be athletes. They had to be able to wrestle. They had to know the holds. They had to be tough. They had to, they had to be like gymnasts. And he was attracted to women who had tumbling ability and gymnastic ability. The lasting imprint that Mildred Burke made on women's wrestling had ripple effects far beyond the ring. According to an article dated March 26, 2020, posted on the website howtheyplay.com, during the early 1950s, Mildred Burke was in Los Angeles and created the World Women's Wrestling Association. During this time, she was considered to be a woman with a perfect physique. The Los Angeles Police Department would post pictures of Burke around the police station. The goal was to inspire police officers who were out of shape to start working out in the gym. And that's assuming that in the 1950s, there weren't many, if any, female police officers on the force in Los Angeles. So it's safe to assume that male police officers were inspired by seeing photos of a female wrestler posted around the station. And women wrestlers had additional challenges that their male counterparts didn't have to deal with. Wrestlers who just happened to be women in the 1950s had to overcome the perception that women's wrestling was just a novelty that was all about sex appeal, according to an article dated June 27, 2017, by Kelly Faircloth on the feminist website Jezebel. Mildred Burke thought of herself as an athlete more than an entertainer, and she wanted to make sure that the women she was in the ring with made everything look good too, the Jezebel article states. She insisted on, you have to be in shape. You have to know what you're doing. You can't just be an untrained, pretty person out in the ring. They insisted that the fans might be interested in the idea of seeing a women's match 
but they'll really be won over if the women can actually outperform the men. So that's what they tried to do. They tried a lot of times to do a lot of moves that were flashier and bigger than the men were doing, more acrobatic moves, because basically they were trying to impress every time they went out and the guys were just doing another show on the circuit. If white women wrestlers like Mildred Burke had to work twice as hard as the men to be taken seriously, that went double for African-American lady wrestlers like Ethel Johnson, Babs Wingo, Marva Scott, Ramona Isbell, Kathleen Wembley, and countless other courageous black women who stepped into the ring before the civil rights movement, before the feminist movement, and before women and black people had many of the rights that we take for granted today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Lady Wrestler, the story behind the story. To get the full story, watch the Lady Wrestler documentary, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. For more information, go to LadyWrestlerMovie.com. Thank you for listening. Catch you next time.